G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. The thing about having unexpected guests is that you weren't expecting them. And, um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but our house is not always quite in a state that's ready to, uh, you know, put our best foot forward. Uh, they're not quite the image we want to portray to people that come into our home. So, you know, we got busy cleaning and tidying and getting ready and, um, you know, changing the bedding, putting on fresh bedding, setting it all up, making, lighting candles and, you know, doing the, oh, it's always like this, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it was... It, I, if you read the emails, you know that today um, we're taking sort of a break from Philippians, but as it turns out, I'm using a lot of Philippians in this message because it tied in so well. But um, did anyone read the email and know what, know what I'm going to talk about today? What is it? The blessed hope. Does anyone know what, what is the blessed hope? I don't know. Do the kids, the kids, do you know what the blessed hope is? Have you heard that expression before? The blessed hope. Quizzical, quizzical glances. There is a test. You'll know what it is shortly. Does anyone want to want to tell us what the blessed hope is? Salvation with a question mark. <laughs> Jesus' return. That's it. Good one. Um, yeah. So the blessed hope is the idea of Jesus' return for his church. And it's something that was is throughout the New Testament, it's spoken of and referred to constantly. And when you're aware of it and thinking of it, you, you just notice how often it comes up. And uh, it's something I've reflected on a bit in the past month. I read a book early in January called When Jesus Comes, and it was written in 1901 by Reverend Thomas Waugh, and it was fascinating to read to knowing his context and history and reference to different, you know, things that were happening at at his time, Um, but I still found the book really relevant and powerful, and it just kind of struck me, and he was, you know, I guess conveying the same thought that I am right now, which is we don't seem to have a real grasp as the church today of this idea of the blessed hope and, and Jesus' return. It's not something that I've found to be talked about heaps or to be really um, referred to. Uh, I think it's more common for us to be like, you know, we could die at any time, we should be ready or, you know, and that's valid as well, but because we none of us know how many days we have on this earth. Um, but this idea of Jesus coming back for his church is very scriptural and and it was referred to as, yeah, this hope and this thing that they were looking forward to and and you know, it was commonly talked about and, yeah, it's just, I guess, been a growing conviction for me to sharpen in my own understanding of these things and to to have a greater sense of um, the Lord's return and what that means, um, you know, for me personally, for us as a church and for as his people. And and why is it that it matters or is important for us to, to have that, that belief or that awareness? Um, isn't it enough to just have that sense of general readiness of like, yeah, well, I don't know when my time will come and I should always be ready. What, what is the difference about this idea of the Lord's return? And I'll just take you back to this analogy of, 
the guests coming at any moment and it's like, what can you tell me what's the difference for you if you know, okay, there's guests coming in one hour and there's guests coming oh, sometime in the next 12 months. What is the difference? What kind of response will the, you know, I think we can all imagine and, and know very well what difference it makes. And I think, you know, it, it spurs you into action when you have a sense of something's about to happen. And obviously, in some ways, the analogy breaks down a bit because we could say, well, it's been 2,000 years and, you know, that's a long time that he hasn't returned. And so, well, let's just kind of ignore that or what, you know, what's the relevance? And I guess I just keep coming back to scripture because it obviously was relevant. And, and the fact is, we're only getting closer to that time, not further away. And so, if anything, our... Our expectations should increase as time goes on, not diminish. But I do understand how it does that because we look back and think, well, and it actually says in in Peter, the book of Peter, it's like, oh, people will say, oh, it's never going to happen. Life goes on as it always has since the beginning of time. And, you know, same old, same old. Um, and and he, he comes right at that kind of thinking and says, no, like, don't think that he's slow in keeping his promise. It's not slowness. It's not that he's forgotten or not going to follow through. He's merciful. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on, on coming in and choosing willingly to come into his family. And, you know, thinking of it in that light, it really touches my heart about God's love and compassion for humanity. Because I think if it was any of us, when you look at the history of the world and all the horrible things that have happened in it, wouldn't you have, like, chose to <laughs> wind things up a bit earlier? But then I also go, well, if he did that, none of us would be there, <laughs> you know? And I think God loves us so much that he has waited for this generation of people to be born and to come into his family. And, you know, he, he's waiting for people that, you know, we know how special we are <laughs> and how much we love our own families and the own people around us and to think, yeah, he could have stopped a, a millennium ago. We, none of us would have been a part of it. He was like, no, I've got these people that I want still to come in. And, and that's, what, that's what I've thought about recently and reflecting on. I think, wow, he really loves us and he wants a bigger family. He wants more people to have that opportunity. And, and how beautiful. And it's not a slowness. It's not a failure to, to, to do what he said he's going to do. But it's love. It's compassion that drives him. And and it says in that same passage, with remember, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So for him, it's been like a couple days. Um, but how, how much is one second, or how much is 30 seconds, Nick, do you remember? <laughs> we worked this out one time when we were doing a Bible study together. I was like, if a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, using that as a guide... How much time is 30 seconds to God? Just a bit of fun if you want to try and work that out. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what we did to work it out because we were all a bit brain dead. We did like, I was like, all right, so 500 years is 12 hours. And we just went back and back and back. And I think it worked out, it was like 30 seconds was close enough to six months. But I was just, just think about next time you don't have time to spend with God to go, you know what? If I give God 30 seconds of my wholehearted attention, 
that's like six months to God. Like, what can he do with that 30 seconds, you know? Don't underestimate the smallest offering that we bring to him. It's what he does to it. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't work according to our paradigms. So, yeah, this idea of the blessed hope, his return, he's coming. And um, I just want to read, I am going to touch a little bit on eschatology. Eschatology is like the things of the end, you know, things like the book of Revelation and prophecies around the end. And it's a topic that's often avoided because Revelation itself is complex and hard to understand and controversial because of that fact. And there's lots of different ideas about it and I, I'm not really dogmatic about what I think about it but I think it's helpful for us to consider and to reflect because what we believe about the future does have an impact on how we live now and it, it does inform our decision making and this stuff's in the word and it's there for a reason and God wants us to know some things and you know it's good to avoid controversy, it's good to avoid useless arguments, but it's not good to avoid the Word of God or discovering what He does want us to know just because we can get it wrong. Because the truth is, any doctrine of Scripture, you can make a mess of it. Like, we can get it wrong and be unhelpful in how we approach it. So we want to approach these sort of um, Scriptures with the same humility and desire to learn and asking the Holy Spirit to to reveal things to us as we do with, with any part of Scripture. Um, but at the same time, I think it's helpful sometimes to just hear, what does someone who's given this much thought and prayer and reading, what do they think about it? And, and maybe that will be helpful. And I know I found it helpful when others have done that for me. And so today I'll just share a little bit about some of my own thoughts about what I think that might look like. But again, oh, I'd love to chat more about it. If you have a different view like to look at scriptures together and to learn and to discuss it because, you know, we want to learn from one another. Um, but, yeah, just I'll share a bit about my, my understanding around this and then, but mostly want it to be um, practical. And that's what we'll look at some of Philippians passages, like in light of, because the one thing we do know, he is returning and, and exactly the ways and hows, yes, we're not, some, you know, lack of clarity at times of that, but we know he's returning and therefore what does that mean? And we want to be practical in how we respond to it. And if your eschatology or your thinking about end times results in you feeling anxious, afraid, you know, panicky, argumentative, pushy, you know, maybe you're not right on the right track. But if it's resulting in you feeling greater comfort and peace and passion and hunger, then okay, that's more positive. So we want to look at the fruit of our understanding, a fruit of the things we're learning about. And, and if you're someone that, you know, it can become obsessive like anything and unhealthy and you go, all right, this is taking my time or taking me from other things, this going down rabbit trails about this stuff. Okay, maybe put it on the shelf. Um, but I think often we're probably more guilty of it, putting it so far on the shelf that we never stop and look at it. And so that's what we're going to do now. We've got the Bibles out, but so feel free to use that. We're going to look at a bit of scripture. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation. And if you've got that on your phone and that's easy for you, I encourage you to look at that instead because at times it's enough different to be unhelpful in terms of following. So... 
New Living Translation. And we're going to start by just reading what 1 Thessalonians 4 says about some of this. And I like 1 Thessalonians because it's not apocalyptic literature. It's not in prophetic language. It's talking quite plainly about things. And it was written to put people's minds at ease um, that had been hearing confusing mixed messages. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13, and we're going to go through to 5.11. It's actually going to be on the screen as well in the New Living Translation. Not everything I'm doing today is going to be on the screen, but this one is because it's the biggest chunk. So 4... 13, mine heads the hope of the resurrection. Doesn't that sound exciting? Okay. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Have anyone read this passage before? Um, This is often when it says we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord. That's often what's referred to as the rapture. So you might have heard that word um, and... Yeah, this idea that we will be taken up. What exactly that looks like? And, you know, maybe that's, there's been lots of different ideas. There's been a whole book series written about what that might look like. Um, But this idea that we will meet the Lord, we'll be caught up with him. And, yeah, I mean, I what I love about this is it's like plainly telling us and reassuring us of what our future will look like. If we die before the Lord returns... We will rise. And I find this fascinating because I'm like, the people that have died will be risen first. And it's like, we have this unique thing as part of our faith, the resurrection of our bodies. Like, that's part of our salvation. So we, it says in Romans, we have been saved, though only in hope. Now to see is to no longer hope. But to him, who, when we hope for something, we endure and wait for it patiently. It's like we've been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a, sign, like as a promise of things to come. And, and the full completion of our salvation, the end point is our resurrected bodies as well. And again, this is something I don't think we talk that much about because it is a bit hard to get our heads around. But it's in Scripture plenty this idea we will have resurrected bodies and you know we often talk about our spirits you know going to you know this spiritual reality which yes our spirits are a real us but you know our bodies are going to be resurrected and turned to be like Jesus resurrected body which is kind of intriguing um 
And I kind of think, I wonder, what, what's that going to look like? Because obviously there's people that have been dead for a long time. And, you know, is he getting the little atoms that made up, the little bits that made up that person's body that have kind of turned to dust and ashes? Are each one, he knows where they all are, bringing them all back together to reform that body? Like, what does that look like? I just find that fascinating. But we have this promise of a, of a resurrected body. And for those of us who are still living when the Lord returns, we have the amazing fun of not having to go through death at all, but just just somehow being transformed into an immortal, we'll get an immortal body. It says, you know, the, Im, the mortal will be clothed with the immortal. So it's like we'll get this garment of immortality. Like, I think that's cool. And I like the fact that it's not a guarantee that we will die. You know, it's like we won't necessarily die. We might just get translated into immortal beings and not have to go through that. And, you know, I kind of like that thought. Um, and so encourage each other with these words. And, yeah, I guess my reflect, reflecting on why is this encouraging? Why does it bring encouragement and hope? Um, I don't have an exact clear answer, but I think it's worth pondering. This is encouragement. This is hope. We have a future and uh, a fulfillment that's yet to come. We have the Spirit with us now. And how amazing. We have the deposit, the Holy Spirit. One third of the Trinity is our deposit of what is to come. So, like, there is more. Like, what we have already, we can't fully grasp it. We're not fully aware of it or utilizing it or enjoying it even. The salvation we have and can walk in presently. There's so much to explore and discover, but there's still more. The fulfillment, the resurrected bodies, the all this stuff. It's like, wow, this is big. Okay, we'll take a slight shift. Oh, no, before we do that, I, I told you I was going to talk about um, what my thoughts are. Again, these are my thoughts from reading and looking into it and what I think is going to happen. What does the future look like? Um, my personal thought, don't put this thing up yet. I might use it, I might not. Um, my personal thought is that there will be, uh, there will be a rapture of the church, like some kind of we meet the Lord in the air, and, and then that will kind of set into, again, I don't know exact, obviously, timings, but I think then there'll be this seven-year tribulation period on the earth which is like a judgment time for the earth and a chance still a last chance for people that live here to repent and to come to faith and a time in particular where God's there's a focus on the Israel Israel um, part of things and you see that in scripture like in Romans 11 I think 10 and 11 maybe or 11 12 it talks a lot about Israel and it says you know like God's not quite finished with Israel it's it's that yes we've been grafted in it's we come a part of the family. The Gentiles have had their day. We're having our day of coming into the family of God. That's happening now. But really, in if you look at the whole time scale, the prophetic story of God, what era we're in now is almost like in brackets. It's like, and here's this little bit here where the Gentiles come in, last a couple thousand years, and then move on to the... Like, we don't get that much airtime about this period of prophetic history. Even though it feels so long and so important to us, it's not necessarily the be-all and end-all, but we get to come in to the family of God. But then it says, you know, 
what if the rejection, if, if Israel rejecting God, rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, if that meant salvation to the world, because it said first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, and the Jews at the time, for the most part, rejected Jesus when he came the first time. And so, all right, here, I'm going to take it to the rest of the world. Bring them in, bring them in. But it says, if the rejection of Jesus by Israel led to the salvation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? And then it goes on to talk about what the, them accepting Jesus. And so this is something that's yet to be, that hasn't quite happened, hasn't quite fulfilled. And it's interesting to know that for, I don't know, many hundreds of years, there wasn't even an, a nation of Israel. And now in the last hundred years, there's been the reforming of Israel as a nation, which totally blew everyone's mind at the time that that even happened. And it was very miraculous so there's things that are happening in, in, in the timeline of history and prophetic history that it's significant that Israel exists as a nation again. You know, we're used to it. That's just normal life for us. But that was, that's shocking that that even happened. And so there's something that's going to happen, I think, with, with God dealing with Israel and dealing. And it talks about this tribulation period as Jacob's sorrow. So there's a lot of very Israel-specific language around this time. So there's something that Jesus, God's, you know, bringing... It's like he's wrapping up all the loose ends. That's kind of how I see it. Like in his story, he's wrapping up all the loose ends. He's bringing it all together, all to completion. And I think the whole motive in all of this is to give every person every possible chance to come to him. It's not about suffer, suffering for suffering's sake. It's about bringing people into the family of God. As many as can come in, he wants to bring them in. And why and how he does all these things, I mean... Of course, we're not going to fully understand it. We're not God. Um, and we can tend to simplify things to just our own understanding, our own people group, or our own time in history. But we're dealing with something so much bigger than ourselves in our time. And he has a plan. And he's going to bring that plan to fruition. Um, and no part's going to be left undone. And no scripture's going to be left unfulfilled. Um, yeah, so I think there'll be this time and, and an antichrist will arise in that time period. So I think, you know, when it comes to, is this the antichrist, that the antichrist, you know, it's possible that we might notice who that's going to be in the, but we're not, I don't think we as a church will necessarily be around when that's happening. Um, but yeah, the tribulation and then the return of Jesus where every eye will see him and every tongue confess and he'll come in glory. Like the, that, the rapture idea, it's like we meet him in the air and it's kind of like hidden from the rest of the world and then a coming back where everyone will see him and everyone will bow before him and it will be a day of awe and terror if you, if you haven't submitted to him as king. Um, and then a millennium reign where Jesus is like king of the earth that's, uh, I've always, it ref again, millennium, I'm speaking, I'm sorry for those who made this all might be like, what? What is all these things? If you, yeah, these are things that are referred to in scripture about the ends, end of all days and that there'd be this, this time period. And again, some people think it's not literal and it's my personal opinion that it, it is literal. And I think to me, my reflections on it, what beautiful justice that Jesus can finally reign on the earth and actually make the world just and beautiful and as it was always meant to be, to finally let the earth like be 
glorious and be fruitful and be safe and be fun and be amazing and just thrive and that people go on living and marrying and and it's like people live long and healthy beautiful lives and then at the end of that thousand years there'll still be for those that whose hearts still haven't truly turned to God well why wouldn't you after all that but that there'll be this rebellion that uprises um, led by the enemy who's been chained up for a thousand years but will be released to lead the final rebellion and then God will just blow it away and then we sort of move on into an eternal state so that's my personal thoughts about what will happen um, I'm sure that hasn't sparked any questions or wonderings um, but yeah again happy to chat and like I said I think it's only as helpful as you know what res- what it results in you like you want to Wanna, I personally, as I've learned and reflected on these things and come to some conclusions about some things, it's made me feel excited and like the future is actually glorious. And yes, there's hard, dark things happening in the world and that will continue, but there's this, God's got an amazing plan and we get to be part of it. And what a privilege to be trusted with the message of the gospel and to see other people, to be a part of bringing other people in to that is amazing you can throw that image up if it's helpful and just by the by during that seven years of tribulation I think that will be like a seven-year feast we're at the seven-year supper of the lamb marriage feast it's going to be the best party ever um, during all that so you want to be a part of that Um, all right I just want to I know time running on and we've got kids and they're being patient but I just want to hop into Philippians to, to talk a little bit about, I guess, the practical application. And again, I, I, I just encourage you to notice where it refers to the return of the Lord and then kind of what follows from that and how it's often placed as a motivation and a reminder. Like, I think what it does for me, it's like, whoa, like, what if? Like, I have one friend who's got some, you know, I've heard some theories about different things, but it's like, what if it was this year? What if the Lord returned this year? Like, does that fill you with excitement or with, ah, maybe both? But like, are we, the point is, are we ready? Are we anticipating him? Is our life focused on what it's supposed to be focused on? Um, In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when you die. Is anyone looking at it? it, Is that what it says, Scott? On the day when Jesus returns. That's when things are completed, not on our day of our death. On the day when he returns is when his work in us is completed, when we get our resurrected bodies. That's like the you know the final seal of we're we're done on the day when Christ returns and I just want to point out because I guess I'm, I'm trying to lead us to a point of like let's be about God's business let's be focused on who we are as his people and in in um uh later in Philippians You know, it, it, it reminds us, above all, this is verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Above all, 
You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. That's a big call. Like, what is behavior that that is worthy of the gospel look like? What kind of conduct does someone who operates as a citizen of heaven and it's wor- their behavior is worthy of the gospel? What kind of behavior and conduct is that? Like, it's hard to put a lid on how amazing that kind of conduct would be. How, how do you put a lid on that? How do you describe that? It's amazing. It's glorious. And it's beyond all of us, right? And it can feel like, oh, okay, I've got to do better. I've got to work harder. I've got to improve myself here, here, and here. What's the next list of things that I need to do to be a better person? And it's so important that we know that doing better and trying harder is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And it's complicated. It's, it's a bit complex because there's, there's such a merging of things that happen here. But, you know, Paul is very clear. Like, look in Philippians chapter 3. Um, we're looking at verse 7. And he, he lists just above that all his credentials, all his religious credentials, like the tribe he was born in, the things he's like. He's a Hebrew of Hebrew. He's, if anyone could go on their own merit, he could with being a good person. And, and he says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is like the marriage, the connection. It's, it's about oneness with God, connection with him, community with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. This is so foundational. Our righteousness comes from Jesus, not from what we do, not from our performance. But then it goes on. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature mature, agree on these things. There's this thing, it's like he's working hard, like Paul is pouring out his life to advance the gospel. He is, you know, where uh, that, where's that other verse about, Shane? Um, oh, here it is. No. We rely, this is verse 3, we rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in him. What's that one? Um, the, the power that's working. 
12, partway through. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And this is key. Like, we don't have to generate this ourselves. We don't have to work it up. We don't have to work up this great behavior. No, it's, it's like John 15. Abide in the vine and you will bear much fruit. The fruit of salvation is a godly life, obedience, righteousness, purity. That's meant to be the outflow of our salvation that comes from only through faith in God. It's our union with Christ that allows us to be pure and holy. But we're also told and instructed countless times in Scripture to do this, do that, do that. And so we can get confused and think, oh, okay, we focus on do, 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 do. But it's no, abide. When we're, it's about the connection with him. But there's this mysterious thing that happens. It's like he wants us to cooperate with him. It's like, yes, you actually still have free will. And we're being exhorted and reminded, do these things because we can actually opt out and go, no, I'm not going to, or I'm going to still sin, or I'm going to do... No, we have to still actively choose to cooperate with what he's doing. But the power doesn't come from us. It comes from him. And that's critical. And, you know, there's, there's nothing more joy-sucking out of our salvation if we think we have to produce this kind of life because it's not possible. And people die trying to live like they think they should. And they live in shame in secret. And they do, you know, they live a double life. And it's a great deception to think it's on us to live this way. But it's also a great deception to believe we're not able to live how God calls us to live because he's empowered us to do it. His spirit is in us. That means something. That actually counts for something. And I think we forget that. It's like, it's not just me anymore. He is in me to will and to do his good will, like his good pleasure. You know, his law is on our hearts when we come to him. We want to do things his way. And we, we, we have this fellowship and this connection with him where it begins to naturally come out of us. Yes, we still have to make choices. But all the while, we are empowered. We, we rely on him. We're a conduit to him. And this was so mind-blowing for me personally. You know, it really... Um, triggered a big shift in my own faith when I recognized that just go back to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and it says and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns I already read this one but what I want to point out is it's God's good work it's not our work he started it. He's going to finish it. When, we, when we're dead, after, like if we die on this earth and our bodies are dead, we have no power to raise ourselves up to a new, to a new mortal body. He will do that. It's his power. It's his, we're his project. And I lived a lot of my life thinking like I'm my own project. And okay, what's the next thing on the list? What do I need to do now? And, you know, it's obviously good things to go Bible study, prayer, you know, quiet times and to establish healthy patterns and disciplines. That's wise. But if we think that that's how we advance in our Christian walk or grow into maturity, we're mistaken. It's about union with him and our connection with him. All those things are just they're the fruit, the peripheral to the fact that we're connected to God. That's the heart of the gospel, our reconnection to him. And we're empowered by him. 
to live in such a way that we shine in our world. And it's not a big cumbersome effort. It's like a joy. And even Paul, he's like, his life is being poured out. He's like suffering. He's in prison. He's being persecuted. And he's like, I consider it all joy. What kind of faith was he living? Like, what kind of, you know, we need to strip away religion because religion will kill us. We're, we want a connection with the Father. And he wants that with us. He's less concerned with our outward behavior and much more concerned with our affection for him. But yes, he does expect us to live in a life worthy of the gospel. But it starts by knowing what the gospel is. And it's not rules and regulations and self-help and trying harder. It's receiving his love, receiving his life, and letting him live through us. And enjoying the journey and having a good time. There's so many exhortations about the joy of your, like, enjoy, get into the joy of your salvation. Like, remember the joy of your faith. Like, it's meant to be joyful. And if it's not joyful, it's probably become about you doing better. And that sucks because it is impossible. We can't do what he's calling us to do. That's the point. We need him. He who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Submit to him. Give yourself over to him. Relinquish control. Enjoy him. He, he just wants to love us. I just want to finish with um, and we're going to have a couple more worship songs after this. Um, I just want to share a poem that I wrote today in reflection, kind of coming back to the thinking about our time and where we're at, but you know, we don't have time to waste. You know, if we're not sure about, let's get sure. Let's reconnect with God. Let's throw off anything that's hindering us. It's not worth it. Focus in on him. We're here for his dreams, his vision, his desires. Our life only has significance to the point that it serves him in the big scheme of things. Everything else will, will fall away. I'll just read this if, if worship team, we want to come up. That would be good. Where religion and politics converge into its ultimate end. The woman on the beast, drunk, obsessed with power and vainglory. Where every idea meets its fulfillment. Where every seed is full grown. What's been planted, now ripe for the harvest. We will see with our own eyes the end of our ways, the end of all days. Sin sown is death, and it ends as it begins. There is no future for the hearts of men who give their allegiance to anything other. The world will mourn and break, but the dawn will overcome the sorrow. Life will flourish as he always dreamed. What we cling to will be laid bare. 
Ready? 